<laughs> well, good morning. Are you as surprised as I am? <laughs> Look at you, boy. Rough roads, slippery, and here you all are, way to go. Hey, word is that uh, John's trying to get Don to start working with fish. So if you know anything about uh, John's passions. Uh, glad to see you all. Hope you're well. And uh, like uh, John called up last night after church and said, uh, you know, Bob, just he just made it through, but as soon as it was done, he headed out the door. So do you got plans in the morning? So lastly... So we'll go right to the end of the brief, uh, brief message. So I'm glad to be here, and we're going to talk on prayer. And uh, I'm going to tell you how this is amusing to me, because among the things in my life about the Christian walk, prayer is like the love-hate relationship I got with the Father. Maybe you got it anchored down, and it all works for you, but I, I find this, uh, I find this arena of Christian walk. Uh, pretty slippery for me. And, uh, and maybe sometimes when you pray, it's kind of awkward. It's a little bit like the, uh, like the movie Meet the Parents, where Ben Stiller's character is asked to say grace at the table, and we're just going to have a look at that. Wow, Dina, everything looks fabulous. Well, I'll tell you something, it's such a treat for me to have a home-cooked meal like this. Dinner at my house usually consisted of everybody in the kitchen fighting over containers for Chinese food. Oh, you poor thing. What, there wasn't enough food to go around, Greg? No, there was. We just never really sat down like a family like this. Oh. Greg, would you like to say grace? It's... Okay. Oh... Dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly laying at our table this day and each day by day day by day by day oh dear lord three things we pray to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly day by day by day amen amen oh greg that was lovely thank you greg that was interesting too <laughs> uh, now if you really like that tell bob schwan because he picked that out so uh, that's a great little clip uh, here's, our, uh, here's our big idea for the day. Prayer is an act of defiance against the lust for independence. Prayer is an act of defiance against the lust for independence. Uh, I've had a lot of suspicion about prayer and uh, trafficking with the Lord. 
One was, it often seemed to me like it was a bait and switch little thing going on. You know the Scriptures. Uh, hey, ask in my name that this mountain be removed, and it'll be removed. All right, like, anybody seen that one? Because I haven't, and I've been, I've been watching. Or, uh, anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. Or, hey, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Uh, I had a little trouble with that stuff. Like, did he mean it? Say, well, that's not actually what he meant. Well, then why did he actually say it? It was like, uh, he says it's in the store, you go to the counter... It's advertised. You say, I'd like three of these. They say, oh, we're out of stock. Now, I sometimes thought it appeared to me that God had, had it in stock for other people, but if I went to the counter, he often seemed to have it out of stock. Would you like a rain check? No. I need it now. So, like, I ended up with drawers of rain checks. I had to figure out ways to explain God's inactivity. Well, His ways are above our ways. All right, maybe once or twice, but really? All the time? That, that, that's not an answer that's going to work for me for 10 or 12 or 15 years? So the more that piled up, the more suspicious I got. Well, God, God, God loves us. Well, all right, sometimes I love my children, and when they were small and asked for candy right before a meal, I would say no. But if I ended up being unresponsive again and again and again and again, my kids wouldn't grow up thinking, well, Dad's ways were above our ways. They would say, you know, Dad's kind of a miser inattentive, disconnected, and I'm not sure he cares. But who dares say that of the Almighty? So we find softer explanations. So along with this over-promising and under-delivering, it also seemed to me like often prayer was a one-way conversation. Right? Well, Lord... Uh, and by the way, always start out with, oh, you're great. Because if you just head right to the, this is what I need today, without those preludes, well, that'll just tick him off more. It's less likely you'll get anything. But even then, often prayer seemed like kind of a one-way one uh, street where I would uh, say certain things, and then I would get up and I'd go about my life and there was, a, there was a dramatic disconnect between what prayer seemed like. So it was like a band that was always practicing but never playing. Someone who was always training for a race but never actually in the race. And, uh, you know, I'd watch people like, uh, I've got a dear friend, a young woman in her mid-30s, her and her husband, uh, she's been unable to have children. And uh, in the course of life, they've adopted three kids, and they have, a, they have a terrific family. But even today, 
if she stands at the counter and begins to explain to you while she stands at the kitchen counter what it was like going through those years of pleading with God to give her the desire of her heart, and then all the trips to the doctor and all the fertility stuff that they tried to do and all the hopefulness month after month after month slowly began to shrivel up and die. And yet the Bible says, God will give me the desire of my heart. So uh, a young person invited a friend once to the youth meeting in a particular church. And uh, the young people, when they found out this, this visitor wasn't really sure about whether God existed or not, they were trying to convince the visitor of God's existence. And so finally the visitor, in the midst of this discussion, stopped and said, okay, tell me the last time God answered a prayer. Another young person that was there said the room got ominously silent. So, so I was involved in a regular discipline that I was supposed to do because I was supposed to do it with an increasing lack of confidence that it actually mattered. I could just say, well, it doesn't seem to me God cared. But you know, often we don't, we don't get that far out, so we say something else like, for some reason, I'm disqualified. I know enough bad things about me to think there's got to be a reason that God's not going to answer my prayer. And so I suspect for about 25 years of my walk with the Lord, that's what prayer looked like. Hit and miss, frustration, irritation, hidden anger, confusion. Maybe it was just the stage of life I came to because eventually some things started shifting and if you ask me how that happened, I'm not an actually entirely sure, but there was at least four things that occurred. One was I got tired of being alone. Someone asked me one time what the idea of a perfect vacation was for me and I, I said, well, I'll give you the picture. I'm on, a, I'm on a beach under an umbrella sitting in a chair and there's a stack of books and some, a pen and paper next to me. Then it occurred to me that in that picture there were no people. And so much of my life had been lived in independence and thus in isolation. And if you began to study the scripture about prayer over and over again, really at the heart of prayer is God with us. For a year I'd gone to England and lived and was working on a educational program there and so my wife Marcy and I had to be highly intentional about how we communicated because she'd stayed in Portland and she was working and uh, someone asked well wasn't that hard on marriage and it actually had the opposite impact because we had to be so intentional about communicating day after day phone calls letters cards highly intentional and it became obvious to me in the course of that year that being with her, one spirit connected to each other, became the sweetest part of that year. 
And I began to see that prayer was in part a relationship with the Lord in which we journeyed together. That it wasn't me just going up to the counter saying, hey, do you have this? God's saying, I don't have it. And I go home thinking, well, oh for 1. And finish up thinking, you know, God had a pretty poor batting average that actually it was about something else. It was knowing that whatever situation I was in, I was not alone in that place. Now, it's likely in a group of this size that there are some of you carrying something, a secret, a life experience, a set of circumstances, and you feel terribly alone with the truth that you carry in your heart. And part of prayer has to do with breaking down that barrier of aloneness that we carry. Mother Teresa was asked once what motivated her in her work in India, and she said, nobody should have to die alone. At first they were going to challenge her about, well, shouldn't it be a loftier goal? And then they began to see that that goal itself was lofty. There are things that you and I carry that God never intended for us to carry alone, in isolation, in independence, disconnected. In the movie about C.S. Lewis, he's visiting with one of his students at Oxford, and they're talking about reading, and the stu student said, I read to know that I'm not alone. And so somewhere in, a, in the journey of my life, I got tired of being alone. And prayer began to play a little bigger role in that. Here's another, another thing that started shifting. I started connecting prayer with action. That I'd pray about something and then I'd do it. See, like the apostles were praying, but they were praying because they were going to go out and share their faith and they could end up in prison. So there was action connected to prayer. And prayer always seemed like such a passive activity to me until I began to connect direct action to the prayers I was praying. And you know the result of that? You start to have stories. One of the great things about Christianity is we get to tell stories. I don't mean just pleasant stories. I mean stories about how God showed up and did things that we couldn't have imagined him doing. I decided when I went to England that uh, I was going to trust the Lord. It was a novel idea for me. Maybe you've got a handle on it. Not so much in my life. Well, one of the things I had to trust the Lord about was the financial resources to go. England is very expensive. Uh, it's, it's getting slightly better now, but it was... Uh, two dollars for every pound so really everything cost double um, what it would normally cost and uh, the so the school bills were high staying someplace was high food was high everything was expensive we had some money saved up and 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 I went I, well all right we're just gonna see and really I kind of bartered out out with the Lord I, I said to him 
I'm not going to protect your reputation on this. Not that he needed that, but I said, I'm not going to pretend. You said trust you. I think you're in this. I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to pretend you didn't come through if you don't come through. I'm not going to use some lofty thing about how your ways are above our ways. Whatever happens, that's what's going to happen, and I'm going to live in the truth of that. Whatever that's going to mean. And so, away I went. We came home at Christmas just about out of money. I came home, we had three weeks, just about out. I said, well, all right, Lord. After the three weeks home at Christmas, I went back to England, and I went back fully expecting that I would be there at a maximum one month and I'd have to come home, quit the program I was in because we'd be out of money, we'd be done, and that'd be it. So it isn't like I was in this thing with high expectation. But I was in it all the way. Then a series of remarkable things happened. One of the people who had opposed me the most in the things I was trying to do suddenly became, out of the blue, a huge donor to the expenses. To this day, I can't explain it. I can't tell you how in the world that transpired. But out of a, out of a source, I would have no expectation at all And by the way, this happened in the face of the one person who was most committed to what I was trying to do, who had promised to work with me in that, he died in the middle of it. He died while I was home at Christmas. So I go back to England and think, well, isn't this cute, Lord? Like, I was so excited because I thought you had made this provision and the guy dies. Appears slightly selfish on my part. <laughs> but out of nowhere came that resource. And then another resource I could not explain, I could not understand. I tell you the product of that. When that type of thing starts happening, it's actually quite humbling. Because inside, you really know you're not worthy. There's not a worthy, like, you haven't earned that. And you can't explain it. But there is another edge to that. You end up with a story. And later on, when something's not working out, you go back to that story, just like they did in the Old Testament, where they piled up rocks to remember what God had done. And that story reminds you of the activity of God. But I would not have that story had I not been fully committed to action and that my prayer was connected to action. Then there's a third thing that happened. I really saw God as kind of a curmudgeon. That he was a reluctant giver. That really, my own father, who was not a wealthy man by any means, was far more eager to give than God was. And somewhere in the course of my journey, that started to shift. Because the Bible says, if you want something from the Lord, you've got to know that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him, who come to Him. 
I had to start shifting how I actually saw God. That if he did withhold something, it was always out of kindness, never out of meanness, and that he was fundamentally disposed to do good. That was, uh, that was kind of a stretch for me for a while. Like, for example, something as sim- simple as, when I, was in, when I was in grade school, other kids would beat up on me. Like, I always seemed to find the bullies. The magnetic draw to bullies. Then I got older, I wondered, how come God never, he never came to my aid? Like, this all-knowing, all-powerful God? Just if my father had been present, he would have... Why was God not interested in the fact that I was always getting beat up? So I had, in, I had small series of life experiences that taught me that God was not to be trusted. That he really wasn't going to come to my aid. And I had to shift to begin to see that he was a rewarder. That he had a disposition towards good. Psalm 34, 15 says that he, will be, he would be attentive to my cry. But maybe the biggest thing was at some point in my, my journey, I decided to live in what was real. To actually live in the real world, about real things. Uh, I do some consulting, and one of the things I ask people is, all right, what do you want? You'd be amazed at the responses to that. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure what I want. Well, I want whatever God wants, really. So the only reason God gave you a will was to abdicate it. What do you actually want? Put it on paper. Come back to me with a list. Three things, eight things, 12 things. Well, I don't know. That doesn't seem right. Really, I said, Jesus three times asked people, what do you want? He expected them to ask, to answer. Bartimaeus, among others, who was blind. You'd think what he wanted was obvious, but it wasn't obvious to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want? You know what I find when we go through the exercise? I find that some people are so afraid of actually saying what they want because they cannot bear to face the disappointment of not, not having it if it doesn't come true. So it's better not to admit they want it and live in some fog than it is to lay it out on the table and say, whether I get it or not, whether God comes through, whether it ever happens, this, this is what I want. See, Jesus did that with his father. The Garden of Gethsemane, he says to his father, Father, if there's any way, let this cross, this cup, pass from me. Do you know that we have no account of Jesus ever changing his mind about that? Instead, he took what he wanted and he laid it at his father's feet. And he said, now, now catch this. He said, nevertheless... Not what I want, but what you want. He never changed what he wanted. He only submitted it. 
So when I just say, well, I want whatever God wants, I don't think God's that pleased with that answer. So the more I decided to live in what was real about who I was and how I was created and what my world was like, the more God seemed to be interested. It occurred to me he lives in the real world. He doesn't live in some makeup world or some fog. He lives in the real world. And so I can only meet him in the real world. And so that began my journey with prayer. And uh, behind all that was the growing understanding that God was a talker. We use the word in the Bible over and over, the revelation of God. God revealing himself, the incarnation, all that is about God communicating with us. That actually he's a talker. Now I know about that because my mom's a talker. My dad's from Indiana, and he's not a talker. And I'll sit with my mom and dad, and I'll ask my dad a question, and my mom will start talking. <laughs> now usually, I'll say, well, what's the weather like? And my dad will get, well, it was pretty, uh, and then my mom will start. Now my mom will talk for 10, 12, maybe 15 minutes. And then, usually because she's out of breath, she'll stop. And my dad will say, well, it was pretty cold. And I realize he's finishing the sentence <laughs> that he had started. Uh, I actually thought God was kind of a stonewaller. But, but I began to see that how I saw that reality was all wrong. That it wasn't that God wasn't talking. It, was, it had to do with frequency. That I didn't actually have the frequency set right. And that if I'm not hearing, it is a rare exception that he's not talking. See, like, like you know why that is? Because, because if prayer is primarily about relationship, in relationship, we chatter. We don't, we don't just chatter purposefully. Like, well, the only thing, time he says anything is if he wants something done. Did you take out the garbage? Now, we just, we chatter about life. Boy, did you see that, uh, did you see that sunset today? Nobody has to do anything about the sunset. You don't even have to run to the window to see it. The fact that I saw the sunset, and I'm just telling Marcy, I saw the sunset. Hey, did you happen to see the sunset today? When I started to see God as a talker, it started to shift how I related to Him. So, with that backdrop, let's just, let's just look at two things. The way to pray. Jesus was asked how to pray. In Matthew 6, He said, now, I'm going to give you an example. And He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, now we wouldn't actually talk like that. We'd say, Father, I know you're good, and I know your ways are good. That's what those words mean. Give us this day our daily bread. All right, I, there's some things going on today. I'm going to need your help. How does this look? And somebody comes to see me at the office before they get there, I'll, I'll sit back in my chair and I'll say, Lord, what do you have for them? 
See, it isn't what I have for them that matters. It's what the Lord has for them. So I said, Lord, what do you have for them? And I listen. And you know, one of the things about God's being a talker, you and I have to learn not to disqualify what we're hearing. Because I'll ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for them? And nothing comes to me, and so I don't try to make something up. I just let it rise out of the conversation if it comes, and if it doesn't come, I tell them it was good to see them. But if I have an impression that this is what the Lord has, then I wait to see if somehow during that conversation that's confirmed. One day a woman came to see me in another state and uh, said, well, Lord, what do you have today? And actually, this doesn't happen all the time, but immediately there came to me the picture of a volcano going off. As I say, God always talks to me in pictures, but that's just what happened. I just had this volcano. So she comes, and we sit down. She starts talking about child-rearing. So I'm thinking, well, all right, I don't see anything about volcanoes here. (laughs) And so we just have this conversation about wise child-rearing techniques. And she thanks me, and she gets up to go, and I ask her this question, was there anything else? Which is a question I often ask people at the end. Is there anything else? She stops and she turns around. And she says, well, I do have one other question. Lately, towards my husband, I just have been having these spats of exploding anger towards him and I don't know what they're about. Ah. Do you have another 30 minutes? Now you see, suddenly God becomes real to me. So in this, little, in this little prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I have some needs today. Forgive us our debts for we forgive, as we forgive our debtors. How are my relationships? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to live life in a good way today. How do I do that? Is that practical that is? And there's three things I want you to notice about this. One is its simplicity. There's no spiritual code to this prayer. There's no like heavenly way, really godly way of talking. There's just talking. And there's a simplicity to the expression of this prayer. It's not caught up in some ethereal domain. I like to read theology. Years ago, there was a theologian called Paul Tillich. Now, most of Paul Tillich's sentences are impenetrable. Like, you can read them three times if you want, but it won't do any good. He might know what he's saying, and maybe God knows, but I think the line draws there. And uh, some people had gone to New York to hear Paul Tillich lecture, this famous theologian, and when they got up in the morning, New York was shrouded in fog, and the one guy turned to the other, and he said, evidently Paul Tillich is thinking with the window open. (laughs) I love that. <laughs> they, this, 
Somehow we can couch religious stuff, spiritual stuff into such a, such a complex. It's not about that. It's about the kind of relationship children have with their parents and their parents have with their children and husbands have with wives and wives have with husbands. There is a simplicity to it. The second is that it's conversational. Like, I suspect there are some of you here who have significant blocks of prayer time. And if you do, I, I say this with all sincerity, I am glad for you. I've never been able to master it. So my prayer life is like my life when I'm at the office. I bop into John's office. Hey, did you think about this? What do you think we should do about it? Would you like me to do anything about this? Somebody walks by. They pop in. We have a conversation. My prayer life is like this running conversation. Oh, what do I do about this? Marcy wants me to take this back to Target. I hate taking this stuff back, Lord. Why did we get it in the first place? What if it's broken and they think we broke it? Now, Lord, this is irrational. It's not the real world. This comes out of my history. So help me stand with authority in front of that counter. <laughs> you think I'm joking. <laughs> That's the dimension of my prayer life. It's this running conversation with God, telling Listening, hearing, asking. At least for me, I don't know how else to make him real and to walk in realness with him. And that leads us to the third way to pray, which is direct. Hebrews 4.16 says, We have a high priest who has been touched with every temptation, circumstance, struggle in which we find ourselves. There's nothing going on in your life on this day that God has not experienced. He's walked that road. He knows that feeling. He knows the panic you may have, the isolation, the uncertainty, the confusion. He says that's the person that we're praying to and with. He knows. So we can be direct with him. So Paul, the Bible says Paul and Silas were in prison. They were singing hymns and they were praying. In that immediate and adverse circumstance that they found themselves. So why should you be praying? Let me give you five real quick. Number one, because I need life to bend. Prayer massages life. Life can be tough, filled with uncertainty. There can be hard edges, brittle, stuff breaks. I need something that helps to bend life, to smooth it out. The Lord doesn't promise a one-for-one. One. Every time you ask for this, this will happen. But he does promise to go through the journey with me, to work with me in the situations I'm in, and it massages life. And it gives life a softness. It allows life to bend. Number two, because life is both physical and spiritual. And if I ignore the spiritual, it's like building a house and then only living in half of it. There's nothing going on in your life that doesn't have a spiritual and physical dimension to it. Or virtually nothing. 
The Bible says, for example, he gives us the example of sexuality. He says, two people become one. That physical act actually creates a spiritual dimension or a spiritual reality. There is no this and that. It, there's two parts of one thing. third reason I, I need to pray is because my life has a purpose that is unfulfillable without supernatural partnership. There are levels of living life that cannot be reached unless there is supernatural activity going on. And it goes on everywhere. A congressman said some time ago to a Christian leader, says, we are aware that there are spiritual forces at work that defy our understanding or explanation and yet impact what happens in these halls of power. The fourth reason is because life is not meant to be lived alone. And the fifth is because without hope, all of us are prone to depression. Because of all the things that prayer can do, one of the greatest is it brings hope. It gives us access to God and God access to us. It was the Lord who said, in effect. It may not all be perfect here. It may not all work out like you had hoped. But I go to prepare a place for you. Do you know that heaven is not designed with God in mind? It's designed with you in mind? I go, he says, to prepare a place for you, a prepared place suited to who he has created you to be. And in the midst of the struggles you and I face, we live with the constant hope renewed daily through prayer that God is always at work to bring something good out of anything we experience. So one of the vital signs of health in my life for years is when there is this ongoing conversation with the one who created us, who is a rewarder and a talker and wants to be involved in your life and desires you to be involved in his. I think that's it for today. Would you set your things aside uh, for a few minutes as we finish up this part of worship and uh, bow your heads with me. Thanks for being so attentive. I know just with weather changes and roads, uh, just getting here took more energy and it's been great for you to be here. Thanks for that. Could I ask you with our heads bowed in prayer and just your eyes closed for a minute and nobody's looking around. We're not going to embarrass anybody. Could I ask you have you been carrying something in isolation, 
and independence, carrying it all by yourself. And you're tired of carrying it. And you've heard not me, but the Holy Spirit nudge you today and say, let me in on that. Let me in on that. Start to talk to me. Because you're not alone. God's not promising a quick fix. But he is promising partnership and caring. And while we wait for just a minute, would you just, where you're seated, quietly mention that thing you have been carrying, that fear that has been yours? Would you bring it out of the fog and mention it to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, here it is. Here it is. Could we start talking about this? And if you're having your conversation with the Lord this morning about that thing, would you just honor the Lord in that? None of us are looking around, but you just slip your hand up, put it down, say, I, I've mentioned it to him this morning. This thing that I'm carrying, yeah, right up here on the side, up here in the front, you bet. Over here on my left, way over, and way the left in the back, yeah. Here in the center again, halfway. Over here on my right, yeah. On my right way in the back, yeah, here in the middle. Right. You are not alone. Father, thank you for meeting us today, for reminding us again that prayer is not some sterile activity that we're going to be beat up about if we don't do it, but it's actually just a name for a conversation between two people who care for each other and have things to share. For these all over this room that lifted their hands up today, Lord, even this exercise itself is fraught with danger because we've taken a step out. We said, Lord, meet, meet us in this place. Meet us in this place. Would you honor their step, Lord? Would you send grace and people and resources would you nudge them to show them that you are present and that you do care? Would you be their help and strength as you promised in Scripture? In Jesus' name, amen.